Today we are going to be doing some prep work for some important things that are coming up in our future. Uh, if you've been following along closely over the last year, you've heard me mention on multiple occasions that one of the things that we felt like God was leading us to do as we visioned out into the future was that we had to financially reposition the church. And we told you that we would address that in 2019, and uh, we would start talking about the process of that. And I have an entire story to tell you about that, actually. I have an entire story to tell you about how God has done some amazing things over the last few weeks to get us ready to jump into this, but that's going to be for a later date uh, as we go. And in the coming weeks, I will share more with you about how that process unfolded, and I think you'll be able to see the hand of the Lord kind of tracing through that as we have been able to see that as well. But today I mentioned already, it's prep work, and before you can start talking about the foundations campaign, we really have to lay a foundation of giving and what it means to look at biblical principles when it comes to stewardship and particularly how we handle our money. And if you were going to build a house, it starts with laying a foundation, doesn't it? And as you start doing the site work, one of the things that happens is nobody gets excited about, you know, moving dirt and laying some, some uh, blocks in the ground. I mean, that may not be the most exciting thing. You get more excited as you see the framing start to take place and as you see the outer shell really begin to take play, shape and you begin to understand what uh, you're actually building, but today's really important because we're doing some site work, and I want to say that today might serve for some of you as a reminder of some things that God has taught us in his word. Uh, for some of you, it'll be a, a point of clarification uh, as God has taught us some things about giving in his word. For others, it's really going to be a point of conviction, and that's okay because you've been familiar with this before, but the truth of it is, if push came to shove, you haven't been living and operating in the way that you need to with this, and that's all right. That's why we're teaching about it. For some of you, this may be the absolute first time that you've ever heard anything like this. But here's the thing. No matter where you're at this morning, what I hope that you'll do is just take a moment right now and kind of pray to the Lord that he would speak clearly to all of us from his word, no matter where we're at, and that we would hear him speak. I think one of the things that happens when we come to the subject of giving, especially if you're new or you're visiting today, is that you kind of would expect me to say, like, I'm really sorry that you came today. Sorry, I'm not going to say that. I'm really glad that you came today uh, because you being here today is an important thing. It's, an important, it's important for you to understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. And I want us to really be careful as we talk about that because there are two seasons in this church's life where we always talk about giving. We're just going to. Every fall, we're always going to talk about giving when it comes to funding the mission partners that we have around the world. We never back up from that. And we also deal with it every winter. And so the timing of it probably couldn't have been better for us as God uses us uh, to reach people around the world through Global Focus and as he deals with us this morning about just giving in general. Let me say one thing about this before we kind of move further. God uses our finances to teach us some of our greatest faith lessons ever. Some of the greatest faith lessons you will ever have in your life come when you have to uh, really consider how you're using your tangible assets. And when you do that, God begins to do something that takes faith beyond just kind of a buzzword, and it becomes something that you are having to live out. And so I want us to really guard our hearts on this this morning, because the internal dialogue of our heart might reveal a little bit about what we think about these things. You know, if you kind of find yourself saying like, gosh, why do we have to speak about giving? Well, that's almost like saying, why do we have to preach about salvation? Well, it's in the scripture. And we preach the whole counsel 
of the word of God. In scripture, there are generally three types of giving. The first is the tithe. Tithe simply means 10%. We'll come back to that in a second. But that's the baseline uh, giving required by God. The second type of giving is an offering. When you read the scriptures, one of the things that you find, Old Testament and New, is that there were offerings giving, uh, given above the baseline giving of the tithe. And they were given for all sorts of things. And, and you might find yourself giving an offering, offering above the tithe today because you're thankful for something God has done in your life or you want to support Global Focus missions or something like that. An offering is when you give above your tithe to fund a mission or a project or help someone who's in need, whatever it may be, that's an offering. But then there's a third type of giving, and you might describe it like this. It's giving when it hurts. It's giving when it costs you something. It's sacrificial giving. It's looking at the things in your life and saying, I'm diverting something out of my life that I could use on myself, and I'm going to give it to the Lord and to the kingdom of God. Now, with those three types of giving in mind, I want you to join me in the book of Proverbs and what's probably one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 3. I love this chapter of Scripture because it lays out so many of the great wisdom principles that we find. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you of something. Most scholars believe that the Proverbs were actually meant to be taken one at a time. Now, we think about the Proverbs, and maybe you read. Maybe, and by the way, this is a great idea for you. You know, if you read five Psalms a day and one chapter of Proverbs a day, you'll go through the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms every month. You'll just be able to, to kind of roll through that. And, and a lot of us have, have done that. A lot of us have read a chapter of the book of Proverbs. But biblical scholars actually believe that they were meant to be taken one by one. One proverb at a time. Not a chapter at a time, but one proverb at a time. So that you could meditate on it throughout the day. So just kind of consider that as we study Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 9. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, or from your wealth. And from the first fruit of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There are several things immediately obvious about this proverb and actually the preceding proverbs that all take place kind of at the introduction of chapter 3. They don't exactly say it like this, but the pattern that's given is almost like an if-then statement. If you go back to what may be the most well-known proverb out of this chapter, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What Solomon is saying there is simply don't look to yourself for the answers. Look to the Lord and trust him. But you could read it as an if-then statement, right? If you trust the Lord and if you acknowledge God in all your ways, if you don't lean on your own understanding, what will he do? It says that he will make your path straight. Well, the same thing could be said of verses 9 and 10. If you look back at that, you could read it like this. If you honor the Lord from your wealth, you will be filled with plenty. There's a conditional aspect of this command that is absolutely 100% based on something, and that something happens to be your obedience. And this is a very important starting point for us as we begin to think about our foundation series, as we begin to think about eliminating debt, as we begin to think about taking on this gargantuan task of getting rid of debt so that we can fund mission and ministry all around the city, all around the world, you have to understand that before you can get to the other types of giving that were mentioned, before you can get to the offering, before you can get to sacrificial giving, it starts with a tithe and a correct understanding of what the Lord 
has required. Solomon understood the principles of giving. And what he's saying is you can't get ahead of yourself. You have to go to the foundational principle first. And all giving to the Lord starts when we obey the tithe. Now, I gave you the definition of tithe earlier, being 10%, but I, I want to revisit it. The word means a tenth, and when you earn any income, God requires that you pay a tenth. Now, to be clear, this is not a gift to the Lord. I want to stop and just say this. If you were buying me a gift, you might consider what kind of gift you might want to get me, and there would be all kinds. I mean, you, you could buy me you know, a nice pen at an office supply store, or you could buy me a Ferrari. I mean, whatever you wanted to get me, you could consider that, right? And then you could choose how much money you were going to spend and when you were going to give it, and it all rests upon you. That's not what a tithe is. A tithe is required by God for you to pay a tenth, a ten percent. There's nothing to consider. It's mandated by God for his purposes and his work. And Solomon says, bring the first of all your produce. Now, that's very important for us to understand. The very first check that you ought to write or the first debit to your account is your tithe. At our house, the tithe is the first check that we write every month. It's the check that comes right off the bat. You don't take into consideration where your finances stand at the end of the month and then see if you have enough money left over to tithe. That's not a tithe. A tithe starts when you look at everything you've earned and you say, here we go. Before I spend money on myself, I'm giving this to the Lord because it's his. Before the house note's paid, before the car is paid, before the vacation fund is funded, tithe. From a young age, I was taught this, and I actually practiced it my entire adult life. And it was something uh, that, that kind of was automatic for me, but was something that was also kind of not quite so obvious to me became obvious from this passage of Scripture in the strangest of ways. I was sitting in a seminary class called a preaching practicum. To be honest with you, there's not much worse in seminary than a preaching practicum. A preaching practicum is a bunch of us who don't know how to preach, trying to learn how to preach. And what they make you do is sit in a group. It's, it, it's kind of like a, a little chapel, and they set it up, and they video it for you. And all of your peers are out there, and you preach, and they have these little sheets where they evaluate how bad you are, right? You mispronounced this word. You got out of order. You need to stop making this noise with your mouth when you preach. You do this all the time. You're annoying. I mean, whatever they say, you know, they, they, they hand these things to you. And by the way, they're anonymous. It's great, you know. So all amongst friends. And to be honest with you, because we were learning how to preach, most of the time you were kind of just suffering through it with everybody else hoping to get out of there. Kathy and I had just been married for a few months and there was a guy who got up to preach. His name was Brian. And Brian used this passage of scripture. And as he began to preach that day, I kind of had my little sheet and my pen. And I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he started preaching about the first fruits. And he said, some of us brothers are not tithing. We're giving less than what we need to give. And I thought, why tithe? This is interesting. Where's he going with this? And he said, the first fruits of your income come before the government gets their hands on your money. Now, I'd been tithing my whole life, I thought. I had always taken my check. I looked at the little check window. This is what I earned. I wrote my little tithe check and turned in every week. Never thought about it. But as he began to speak that day, I began to understand. You know, it's the idea. People always ask the question, should you tithe on the gross or the net? First fruits. Tithe on the first fruits. 
It simply eliminates the issue. We honor the Lord from our wealth by giving the first of our fruit of our labor to him, and we're obeying the command of Scripture. And when we do that, what we begin to understand is that we're opening our lives up to blessings. Now, let me just stop and take a moment to clarify what I mean by blessing. What I don't mean maybe should be easier to understand. I don't mean that if you tithe, you're going to retire at 50 as a millionaire. That may not be God's plan for you, sorry. I don't mean that you're going to have more money than you ever thought imaginable and you'll just be living in the lap of luxury. Blessing means so much more than that. But the scripture does say something about this that's really important. If you think you're reading more into the scriptures, that's dangerous. But I want us to be really clear about understanding what we read into the scripture. Look back at verse 10. It says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new, mind, with new wine. Solomon is reminding us that God is as good as his word. When God instructs you to obey something and he gives a conditional promise to it, you can always take God to the bank on that. You can trust him. And here's the, here's the question I think that maybe we need to ask. What's the difference between plenty and not enough? Because therein lies the blessing. What's the difference between plenty and not enough? Well, when you have plenty, it looks like your, your needs have been met and you have some left over. It looks like you were able to go to the grocery store this month and you were able to buy your groceries and maybe have some left over to invite someone over and share a meal with you. It looks like you had enough left over this month after you'd done all that you needed to so that you could take care of someone else's needs. That's the difference between the plenty and not enough. And it's funny right now because in America, we're called the land of plenty, but we've lost the idea of what this means and we're living without the plenty. We're living with not enough. Because when you try to live on what you have, instead of living in the plenty, you never have enough. It'll never work out. But I think there's another principle operating here. There's a lot of Christians who are missing out on the plenty, and they're missing out on what's been promised because they don't trust the Lord with the tithe. And they believe they cannot afford to tithe. And Because of that, they think that they're kind of operating okay and that when they can't afford to tithe, they'll do it. And maybe they think it's no big deal and they try to adjust the tithe to their liking. I've heard people say this, I tithe 5%. Okay, you can't tenth a 5%. Now, y'all know I struggle in math. And even for me, that one breaks down, right? It, it doesn't work. Now, or people say, I, I tithe to this organization or this specific ministry, but that's not tithing. The tithe is the Lord's. It's given to the church. But what may be worse is that we don't realize the ramifications when we don't honor the Lord with our first fruits. The last book of the Old Testament gives us the definitive word on tithing. I want to read a passage of scripture from Malachi chapter 3. Write this down. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Malachi was talking to this group of people who didn't believe they had done anything wrong because they had reasoned within their own hearts and minds that everything was fine between them and the Lord. But Malachi pointed out they were actually living under a curse because they had been robbing God. Now, I want you just to let the weight of that sink in for a moment. A curse because they had been robbing God. When I listen to that word, robbing God, that, that has this unbelievable kind of sting to it for me. Do you remember as a kid, if you were playing a game and somebody called you a cheater? It's fighting words, right? It's like if somebody calls you a thief, you stole this. 
it hurts, right? I mean, especially if you feel like you haven't. And these folks were saying, we haven't done anything wrong. And Malachi says, you're thieves because you've stolen the thing that belongs to the Lord. And here's what's worse. The consequence of what you're doing is a curse. When you read this scripture, the idea of a curse is long-lasting and always harmful. It's not just mere words that God's speaking. I want you to take, for instance, the nation of Edom. Edom descended from Esau. Edom, at one point, decided not to let Israel pass through with safe passage. And they were cursed by God, and it was said that they would be destroyed. Now, they were destroyed to the point the nation disappeared out of history and were not seen again until an archaeological, archaeological dig was found in 1800s, I think it was 1812, where they were rediscovered. That country was wiped off the face of the earth. God's curses are demanding and exacting. And so if we go back to this earlier question, well, what's the difference between the plenty and, and not enough? Well, now the difference feels much bigger, doesn't it? Because the difference isn't just, well, I wonder if I'll be able to do something with my money. I wonder if I'll be able to take this trip. I wonder if I can buy this thing that I really want. Now, all of a sudden, the difference is between blessing and curse. And you find yourself sometimes swimming upstream and wondering why you can't get anywhere. And it's because God has his hand out going, I don't think so. You're not going to prosper while you're doing this. Now, a lot of times we can attempt to get around this, and this is very popular today, to say, well, I believe in grace-based giving. And what that means is I give whatever I want because we're not under the law anymore. And this is obviously law. God's speaking to people in the Old Testament, and so I shouldn't have to worry about this, right? This should be uh, an exempted practice for me. But I want to show you a couple of reasons from the Scripture why I believe this practice still holds true and why it's something that not only I practice, but your other pastors practice it also as well as your deacons. We practice this. We believe in it. It's a requirement for us. The, number one, the practice of giving is required by God actually predates the law. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. If you do, you'll understand that there were two brothers named Cain and Abel bringing an offering to the Lord. Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's was rejected. Now, a lot of people debate whether or not this had to do with a tithe or an offering for sin. And let's not even go there for a second, but let's just answer this question like this. What was the purpose? Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3 says something very interesting. So it came about in the course of time, literal translation in the course of time, at the end of days. It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now, when we talk about that phrase, meaning the end of days, it's obvious that God had given a time period to all of mankind that there was going to be an offering that was going to be given. Now, if he gives a time period, I think it's safe to assume that God had some instructions about what was to be given, right? Because God later tells Cain, if you do what is right, you'll be blessed. But if not, There was an instruction given by the Lord, and they were to follow that instruction. And so it's important for us to understand that God gives the instructions on how we give. We don't get to make those up. The second thing we see in Scripture is that tithing clearly predates the law, and it continues into the New Testament. Abraham gave a tithe of the spoils of war to the Lord. This is, by some estimates, roughly 700 years before the Exodus took place and Moses got the law and they began instituting the tithing practices. He was already doing it. How did he know to do that? Why did he do it? God had told him to. 
In Luke chapter 11, and verse 42, Jesus was talking to some people in the New Testament. And he commended them for tithing while saying, you guys are getting some things wrong because you tithe and you're neglecting some other, other things, some heavier things. And what he was saying is do both. He wasn't saying you get a pass to do one or the other. And the third reason that we see is what Jesus said about the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. We're not exempt from following the law. You know, you don't get to lie just because Jesus came. You don't get to become a coveter just because Jesus came. You don't get to become a murderer just because Jesus came and lived. It doesn't work that way. We're set free from the penalty of law, which is death, because Jesus came. And he set us free because he fulfilled all of those things. One kind of final thing about the idea of grace-based giving. I've never met anyone who talked to me about the reason they didn't tithe is because they just wanted to give more. I mean, if, if that's true, you got to understand 10% is the starting point. It's not the destination. It's not the finish line in our lives. It's the starting point. It's what's required by God. And as we talk about the values of our church, one of the values that we talk about is generosity. You should be growing in generosity. Why do we say that? Because we have this thing that we say, God's generosity towards us guides us to be generous in all things, everything. I mean, not just money, but time, resources, abilities that you have. I mean, we ought to be growing in the idea of generosity as we walk with the Lord. So what do we do with this? Well, obviously the starting point is 10%. And so if you're not tithing this morning, I want to encourage you to obey the Lord, go before him, and repent, and trust me. You don't want to live in opposition to God's law because the real difference between having enough and being blessed really is the curse it's the curse of the Lord opposing you and I'll just say one thing about this you can't rationalize your way through it it doesn't work because God's economy of blessing and plenty never makes sense when you look at your checkbook it just doesn't I don't know how he does it but I've never missed a meal I've never missed a payment I've never missed anything that I had to do when I've been tithing. Never. At the end of every year when we start to do our taxes right about this time, the thing that always surprises me is how we gave whatever we gave. I look at it and go, well, how did that even happen? How, how, God, did you fill in all the gaps of our lives to make that thing right in our life so that we could do that? And for years, I've issued the same challenge, and I issue it again this morning. Try it. God's as good as his word, and he actually says in the book of Malachi, test me. See if I'm as good as my word. Try me in this. I've told this story almost every time that I've preached on this, but I think it bears telling every time that I preach on tithing. As a young pastor in my first church, preaching out of the book of Malachi, I stood up one day and said, I challenge you as church to begin tithing. Start today. And at the end of the month, if you don't have enough to meet all of your bills, I want you to come see me because I believe that God is as good as his word. A couple of weeks passed by and I hadn't really thought much about it. It was a one-off sermon. We weren't in a big series about it or anything like that. But what happened is that I was in my little office one day and in my little office, I didn't, nobody else worked there. We didn't have a secretary at the church. So people just came into the church and walked in. And I'll never forget the day that Paul walked in. I had not known Paul very long uh, about two years, and I was still trying to figure Paul out. 
Uh, Paul, I never knew if he was serious. I never knew if he was joking around. I, I never knew uh, anything because he was loud and boisterous and he would just kind of walk in the room and kind of own the room and, and everything kind of seemed to be a joke, but then there was some, some hidden kind of truth in what he was saying and whatnot. And that day he walked in and he said, you know that sermon about tithing, right? Yep. As I winced, he said, I took you up on that challenge. I said, Okay. He said, I got to the end of the month yesterday and I was $100 short, last day of the month. And I was like, all right. And he said, this guy came by the wood yard where I worked. He worked at a, a wood yard where they loaded logs that had been cut onto rail cars that were then shipped all across the country. He said, this guy came up and he said, Paul, do you mind if I park a truck in the front of the wood yard here by the road, I'd like to sell it. He said, I'd like to get $500 for this truck. And Paul said, yeah, sure, whatever. And he said, Paul, whatever you sell it for over top of that, you can keep. Okay. He said, about two hours went by, and a guy came and said, Paul, is that your truck for sale? He said, no, it's not, but it is for sale. And the guy said, well, what do you want for it? And Paul said, the light bulb moment hit. And he said, Pastor, I was ready to come in here and give you an earful about how God wasn't faithful. But he is. And I was like, yay God, and whew, you know? Because <laughs> I was thinking it's going to be awfully awkward to go to the treasurer and say, I need a refund check issued. God's faithful. I've never met anyone who trusted God at his word when it came to this thing or really any other that found him to be lacking. If you obey, blessing follows. It's just the way that it is. And as you think about those things, I want you to think about it in terms of where you're sitting today. How is it today that God is speaking to you? Is it today that it's time for you, maybe like Paul, to say, I don't see how this could work. If I tithe 10% on my income, I'm not, I'm not going to have enough. Can I challenge you just to step out in faith and trust that the Lord is as good as he says he is? His word is perfect. And what God says he will do, he will do. He owns it all, folks. And he asks us to be stewards of things. And this is a faith test in your journey. It's a faith test that many of us could stand up this morning and say, God has been faithful and has provided for all of my needs through his glories, through his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, to be sure, we don't tithe so that we can get something out of God. That's not how it works. We tithe so that we can be obedient and blessable because the difference between the blessing and just enough or not enough is enormous. And I want to challenge you with that. Perhaps you've been giving 10% and you've understood that it's the starting point this morning and not the destination. How could I challenge you this morning to grow in generosity? Well, hang in there for a couple of weeks and you're going to see 
some opportunities that you'll have. You always have opportunities in Global Focus. You always have opportunities as people come and are looking for help going on mission trips and different things like that. There's plenty of opportunities around to grow in generosity. But understand this, like all the fruits of the Spirit, as we grow in these kinds of things, right, as we grow in in being patient, as we grow in self-control, all these things start to come about in our lives. God wants to take us somewhere else. He's never just satisfied for you to be exactly where you are today, right? Because there's so much more. I want to challenge you to say yes to generosity. Maybe God could be speaking to you about living on less this year. You know, maybe you just don't need all the stuff that you thought you needed. Maybe it's time to take a step back and really consider what do you have to buy? I mean, what do you really need? What can can you put off? Well, what can you really consider using those dollars for the Lord's work? How's God stirring your heart for the kingdom? Because all the world's wealth, it's his. We're just stewards of it. We're not owners. Maybe it's time to ask, are we being good stewards? Maybe it's time to get out of debt, right? It's time to start living on what God has provided and and start pushing to get out of debt and to push back a little bit against the American ideal this morning that more is better and it doesn't matter how long you're in debt or what you have to do to get there that we could trust the Lord to live on enough I think all things are answered in the Bible and it starts with the proper view and valuation of money you remember what Jesus said he didn't say that money was the root of all evil he did say the love of money was the root of all evil I know that most of us would say, I don't love money. Do you? Do you fight that battle like I fight? I don't love money. I just want a little more. It's not loving it. I made this this year. If I just had five more thousand dollars, next year I'd just want five more thousand dollars. And the next year I'd just want five. You know what the Apostle Paul said is that godliness with contentment is a good thing. It's a gift. Right? I mean, what is it in your life that God would be praying, uh, speaking to you about as we enter this time of prayer? Because when money enters its proper place, it's a freeing place for us as believers. And I want to challenge our entire church as we enter into this 90-day campaign. We're only going to preach three sermons on this. You've heard sermon number one. There's only two more as we talk about foundations, but it goes for 90 days. And I'll tell you a little bit more about it next week, but I want to ask you to pray. I believe this is going to be one of the most exciting times in our lives. Would you join me as we respond to the Lord this morning? Could it be this morning that as we're talking about giving, as we're talking about tithing, that God has been speaking to your heart. I asked you to do that with me at the beginning of the service. Just to pray that God would speak in such a way that he would speak to each one of us wherever we're at. Maybe you've never been tithing, and and the, the thought of starting that this morning just seems like a mountain that is insurmountable. Would you trust the Lord? Would you commit today to trust the Lord? It could be in your life that 
Maybe you thought you were tithing like I, I did. I mean, I thought I was tithing. But I wasn't giving the first fruits. The government were getting their hands on it first. And then I was giving to the Lord. Maybe today it's about generosity for you. The next step. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you, I know that sometimes we kind of have to swallow hard and just say, yes, Lord. I don't know how I'll do it, but yes, Lord. Father, you always take care of us. And I believe this morning there are some who are struggling because they know they're living under the curse. And the difference between plenty and not enough is found there. It's an obedience issue. Father, help us to obey by the power of the Holy Spirit. Convict our hearts this morning. And I pray for the person who's just on the fence. They're struggling with it this morning. Father, would you give them the faith to trust you? You say to do it. Try me in this. Give them faith, Lord. And I know that you will reward their obedience, just like you've rewarded every person, like you rewarded Paul that day, Lord. God, you always take care of us. For the person who's just considering, God, what you're doing in their lives in terms of generosity, would you speak? And Father, we know this to be true, but we have to be reminded again, we never outgive you. I don't know how you do it, but you always give more. And Father, you taught us that when you gave your son Christ to die in our place. I thank you for that. And Father, over this next 90 days, as we enter the foundations campaign, I pray that what comes out of it, Lord, would amaze us and be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.